Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi guys, it's Tracy. And before we get to today's episode, I wanted to tell you about our holiday book drive that runs November 30th through December 14th. We are buying books for Rocket Ship Delta Prep, a school in Antioch, California, where 85% of the students live in poverty. The school doesn't have the funds to supply books to students. So many of the books that kids are reading in class are just photocopies of books stapled together. So obviously I thought we could help. We're going to be buying books so that every single student at that school leaves on the last day of the semester with their very own book. If you want to participate, there is a link in the bio to the wish list that was put together by the teachers of Rocketship Delta Prep. For every book you donate, you are entered to win a prize. And we will be giving away at least one prize every single day for this 15-day book drive. Once you've given a book, you are entered to win for every single day. To be in the know about what the prizes are and how we're making progress on the book drive, make sure you're following the Stacks on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and the Stacks Podcast on Facebook. There are more details in the link in the show notes, so please check it all out. And I want to thank you in advance for listening to the show and participating in this book drive. Okay, now let's get to the episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today our guest is Acer Salman. Acer is the author of The Wrong End of the Table, and today for The Stacks Book Club, we're discussing Tell Me How It Ends by Valeria Luiselli, a book about immigration told in 40 questions. Since this book is all nonfiction, there's not really any spoilers today, so feel free to listen even if you haven't read the book yet. All right, here it is, your weekly reminder. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. There is a link there that will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for the Stacks and our guests. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep the Stacks free. If you're looking for an amazing book recommendation, send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air, discuss it, and then give you a personalized book recommendation or five. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. If you like the stacks and want to support the work we're doing, here are a few easy ways you can help. First of all, join us over on Patreon. That's a website where you support the work we're doing and earn perks for yourself. We've got a virtual book club. We got inside access to the show and we have an amazing community of other readers who love the podcast. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to join in. 
The last thing you can do to help the show is definitely the easiest. Subscribe to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and tell your friends and family about the show. It goes a really long way to helping us reach new audiences. All right, now it's time for The Stacks book club conversation about Tell Me How It Ends by Valeria Luiselli. All right, everybody, we are back today with Acer Salman. She is the author of The Wrong End of the Table. It's her memoir about being a Muslim, an Arab, American woman in America. How are you, Acer? I'm well. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're back. We are talking this week for the Stacks Book Club about Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria Luiselli. It's a nonfiction book. We are going to spoil the book if you haven't read it, but there's not really spoilers because it's basically just an essay about immigration. So that being said, I think you're free to listen if you haven't read the book. We always start here, Asa. What did you think of this book? Well, I mean, I I was blown away. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away. Um, I... I told you earlier off, off, off mic that I, I hated you. I loved you for recommending it and also hated you because <laughs> I was, you know, I, I read, I listened to the audiobook and I was, um, I did it well, you know, when I would hike and the whole, I'm sure to the passersby, it was just, this was just me going, ugh, ugh, ugh. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, they're probably like, what's wrong with that lady? They're like, she's really having a hard time hiking. Um, and I'm, you know what? It, I'm glad this book, first of all, I'm a hundred percent glad this book exists. Yeah. I am glad I didn't read it before I started writing my own book because mm. I think I would have, again, like I, my immigrant experience is so different. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish it, but it's immigrant light compared to that. Right. Like just what's happening right now at the borders right. is is unfathomable. It's just it's beyond. I can't even I mean, yeah, it just I I find myself thinking about these children and mm. kind of what happened, you, you know, the, the narrative of them that led them to be sitting at the table being questioned. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for if you haven't read the book, I'm just gonna give you guys a little bit of background, then I'll tell you what I thought. So the book is Valeria, the author. She is in, it's 2014, 15, and she's waiting for her green card and she can't work. So she decides to volunteer um, helping do intake interviews with children who have come to America who do not have a guardian with them. So they're um, all underage. They are children, undocumented immigrants mm-hmm. coming to America, mostly from the countries of Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, coming by way through Mexico. Um, so she is their interpreter. She's take there's a questionnaire, it has 40 questions, and that's kind of the basis of this book. So all of this book is about these kids and her experience with them. And then she also weaves in some of her own personal experience as being someone who is trying to become get to get her legal status in America. And in addition to that, she also weaves in some of the context, the recent historical context of mm-hmm. how we got here, why this is a crisis, right. who these people are, wh- what they're leaving, et cetera. Again, the book's only 107 pages. So she does it all with an economy of words that is amazing. And narrative. Yeah. And narrative. She does a great job. I think this book is amazing. I read it in 2017 um, as someone recommended it to me and I loved it then. 
And when Acer and I were trying to figure out what book to do, she sent me a list of all these things that she would be interested in talking about, all things that made my heart sing, intersectionality, <laughs> uh, immigration, um, women's, women's empowerment, mental health. And I couldn't figure out what book we should do. And then someone suggested, tell me how it ends. And I was like, duh, you idiot. Of course. I love that person. Yeah, I did it. I did a bookstagram poll oh, saying like, send me suggestions uh-huh. based on these topics. And someone sent the last person who actually oh. made it in time sent this. And well, I was thank like, you, last person. Yeah, I can't remember who it yeah, was. I, I can't believe, I, you know, I can't believe I didn't know about this book. Yeah. But I also can because well, it was it was a small press. So Coffee House Press, a oh, small indie. Okay, yeah, and yeah. so sh- this book came out in 2016 or 17. And then her most recent book, The Lost Children Archive, she it's a novel mm. and it came out, I believe with Kanamf. And so it got a lot, okay. it was a much bigger release right. based off this book, but also it's a novel and it's, I haven't read it yet, but apparently people really love it. It's been up for a bunch of the awards really? and, okay. and she'd written other books yeah. previously that I believe were fiction and nonfiction. So mm-hmm. she's, she's a writer. She's great. She's um, so yeah. the way she, there's in particular a, um, a something that she described and it was um, one of the children, the two two small children were being interviewed. And she talks about the, the, the sister answering questions, the girl answering questions while her sister undresses a crayon mm. and then, you know, rubs her fingernail on the bark of mm-hmm. the crayon. And I just couldn't get that image out of my head. And again, that, you know, visual thing, but I'm thinking like the movie, you know, like in the movie version or whatever right. like that it's just such a beautiful like but at the same time haunting image of this it, this moment of innocence in this bigger context right sitting in this sterile probably sterile room right um you know it just yeah i don't even i yeah, yeah she does an amazing job of finding ways to humanize something that i think for a lot of us has become mixed up in much bigger of things. Yeah. As I was reading this book again now, um, the week that the report came out of how many undocumented children the Trump administration in the last year had detained, it was mm-hmm. close to 70,000 in 2019, which is 42% more than the previous year. Mm-hmm. 70,000 children, just like a lot of kids. But go- going back to this book now, it felt really different. I think if this book had come out in 2019, it would have made a much bigger splash. Mm. But I think when it came out in 2007, I think it was 2017, I think that we weren't quite sure what was going on. And I don't know that we were really even paying attention to immigration as much as as we are now because of how horrible it's gotten. Because right. I think one of the things that she makes a really great point about in this book that is something that's often overlooked is that the Obama administration is is as much responsible mm-hmm. for this book as you know and not to I don't want to compare what happened with Obama to what Trump is doing at sure. the border because they're very different but this idea that that had Obama uh, basically, what happened is Obama made an emergency at the border for ch- undocumented children, which turned their 12-month period to get a lawyer and to fight for their right to stay in the country into a 21-day period. 
which then made everything ramped up. Because when you have 12 months versus 21 days, it's very different. <laughs> um, and Obama was not great on, on immigration. And I think that for anybody who has paid attention to the immigration conversation in the last 20 years or so, I think, I think that's pretty common knowledge. If not, um, there's, you should do some reading, <laughs> do some work about it. But I think that, that this book was able to exist in this kind of, God, I don't even know the right word in this kind of not pointing a finger at a person way because it was written under the Obama administration more than mm-hmm. the Trump administration. It would be much more inflammatory makes sense. under Trump. Do you know what I'm trying to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's this whole conversation has been ramped up to think the way that I'm thinking about this book now versus how I was thinking about this book two years ago when I read it. It mm-hmm. might as well be a totally different book. Uh-huh. Even though it's only been right. two years, yeah, like well, I read it happened all, yeah, in two years, which is I mean, we were I don't know, we were bombarded with other stuff. We were like, first of all, right, getting used to the idea of all of this, right, thing, right. I mean, because because when it started, when the Trump administration started, <laughs> Trump administration started, yeah, when, it, when January, it was unleashed, like when we <laughs> when he first got in office, the first thing that was like the first terrible thing was the Muslim ban, yeah, and I don't think that. I don't think that I was thinking yeah. children in cages in six months. Right. I was thinking, oh my gosh, yeah. The these seven Muslim majority countries, like yeah. the, you know, right. I don't. It's been so, I'm like overwhelmed trying to even talk about it. It's yeah. been so much. Yeah. yeah. But did you did you have feelings about like what were your feelings about the Muslim ban? Because I'm sure that felt super personal. Um. It was scary, obviously, um, because I, well, it, okay. It was scary, but then I was like, well, how are they going to prove it? Because <laughs> I'm Muslim and you can't tell, like I'm wearing a sleeveless shirt and no, right. I, you know, but I'm wasn't not, it people coming from, right. Well that, yeah, there's like, it was that, like your plane came in from Baghdad, like, right. Can't come in. That, well, so, and, and there was at the, okay. So when I first heard about it, I was like, well, what's, you know, what does this mean? There was so much misinformation or there, there was such a muddle of information. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, so it was just kind of, first of all, the initial outrage, right? followed by the, the, the image of, of the airport protests, which was amazing to me. Like that was, again, I, I think I chose because otherwise if I didn't, I was going to, it was going to be depressing. Right. Fuck. Right. Can I say fuck? Yeah, I swear I all the time. <laughs> um, because, you know, the day of the, the night of the election, I talk about it, this in the book that I felt like, I was like, oh crap, this is bad. Like. You know, it, what is, ha- you know, this is what, this is my America, what ha- what's happened, like, this right. is what we've elected. And, um, and then I think after like trying to understand it, like, why, how did he get here and who elected, you know, who voted him and all that, then that was, I think, when did that, it was after the women's march. Yeah. That, that happened. So there was the women's march, right? Right. And then, um, I remember thinking again, talking about intersectionality, I didn't feel connected as much to that. To the women's march? Yeah. Yeah. And I found a lot of my um, friends of color, my, my, my black friends, but also my immigrant friends felt the same. Yeah. So that's when I discovered inter- intersectionality. That's so interesting. Then the Muslim ban um, happened and the airport thing. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I felt 
Like I right. felt like I, it was this weird thing where I was like, the lawyers were on the the floor with their laptops and on Sunday working pro bono, trying to get people. And I was like, okay, I, you know, I think everything, I think things are going to be okay in this country because I was focusing on the humanity. Right. The no, response, yeah. not the actual inciting events. Right. And so I think at that point I was like, I can't, obviously I got to stay abreast of the news and all that, but I can't, I got to focus on like the whole Facebook you know, fighting and you, you know, all that nonsense of yeah. people, you know, online. I can't do that. Right. I have to focus on not to be a Pollyanna, but I have to find the, you know, what is the good. Right. And that's when I was like, okay, yeah, Trump is actually, this is how it's not horrible. This is how he's changing the game in a way right. for the good. So, um, but to answer your question, I was fortunate in that I didn't, I wasn't directly affected, but I had friends whose mm-hmm. elderly parents, you know, one of them was, uh, she was American and she went to visit the brother who was the, the, her mom was American, American living here, went to visit the brother and couldn't come back and oh. her medicine, you know, like all right. of that. It's just like, what, you know, you, you, the stories of the Iraqi elderly woman who was detained and you're thinking what <laughs> she's, she right. needs her, you know, Parkinson's medicine or whatever. Right. Like what? Eh. So it was just a lot of, there was like, it was just a lot of noise around it. Right. And I feel like, yeah, what, I mean, it just like, have well, we, have we become like, did we just get to the point where we're like, okay, we're, and here's another thing. And so we can't fathom things. And so we have right. to compartmentalize like what right. has happened Yeah, because things have not changed. They've got, I mean, things have not gotten better. Have they, they've no. gotten worse. I think things have gotten worse. Yeah. Well, I think I kind of said that I was, that that when Trump got elected, we weren't thinking about like the Muslim ban was the first thing. But I do want to retract that slightly and say I think that we were thinking about South and Central America yeah. immigrants because of the whole Mexicans as rapists and all of that stuff. Right. So that was on our conscience. I think mm-hmm. it's almost like it's hard for me to actually remember what I was thinking when yeah. because now it's all come together to sure. become one thing. Right. Um, but so I do, I do want to say that I, I actually think we were thinking about it. And I think that both the Muslim ban and then also his feelings about Central America were definitely top of mind. And I don't think that, I think when the Muslim ban happened, it was almost shocking that he actually followed through because that was one of the things that he had threatened. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it almost felt, because, you know, politicians during the campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. are like, everyone's going to get vending machines in the high school yeah. school lounge. And like, we're all like, right. we're going to get Medicare for all. And we're going to get this. and We're going to get that. And it's kind of like this hopeful image of what mm. my presidency will look like. Yeah. And I don't know that I've ever in my lifetime, I'm not that old, but I don't know that I've ever had a president yeah. say, I'm going to do this thing and do it yeah. in like two weeks. Exactly. And it be such a fucked up thing. Right. Yeah. And I think usually it's like, I signed an executive order to say like puppies. And that's like the first thing that they do. And this was like, I signed an executive order to say, fuck you to all these Muslim majority countries and people (laughs) and immigrants. So happy January, like happy February 7th. You know, it was like within a few weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the thing, like a lot of my um, parents, friends, you know, um, that live here, Iraqi people, um, you know, were kind of more sympathetic to him. Hmm. Um, and before he was elected and it was just, I was like, come on guys. Like before. Yeah. It's like, well, he doesn't mean it because it's because we've never seen, we've never seen it. And also for me, like I come from a fascist regime, right? There's a lot of rhetoric, like we're going to death, you know, like if, you know, (laughs) 
there was um when Sean Spicer first took the, you know, podium or whatever, it felt like remember in the Gulf War, the second Gulf War? No, the first Gulf War, where the guy, I think it was Baghdadi Bob, comes out and he's like, We're winning the war. Everything's fine. And then meanwhile, like their soldiers are surrendering to right. America. It was that. I was like, what happened? Like, are we in a in Iraq, like what is right. happening? Oh, when to he was America? like, it's the biggest migration that yeah, ever yeah, happened, yeah. and yeah. all that. Yeah. So I think it, so. Then it was yeah. I think you're right. Like we didn't. We were like, this. He's not going to do it. Yeah. I think we all just thought. Sure, he's an asshole. Sure, yeah. he's a racist. Sure, he's prejudiced. But <laughs> sure, like, he's, he's a, not going to do it. Yeah. Like, it's never going to happen. And right. then it happened. And then yeah. I think everyone was like, "Yo, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. so." Where are we supposed to be sending our money? Like what? Right. Like it was definitely like because you're right. The women's march happened before because that happened on inauguration day. Yeah, or the day after. Yeah, I think it was, Jan- was mid January. It was January twentieth. I think it was inauguration day, and I think everyone was like, "Okay, like we're gonna, we have to fight this presidency, whatever." And then this happened, and everyone was like, "Oh, okay, so we actually have to like, so we have to respond. Like we have to en- engage with this type of stuff." And I think. I mean, and I don't think that in January 2017, I would be sit. I didn't think that I would be sitting here in November 2019, thinking like we're still, like yeah. th- it's still, it's just worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Right, not to be too depressing, but you know, right. And you talk about again, like I. That's why I said I'm. I'm in a way. I'm. This book intimidated me just from a point of, of a narrative point of view because as I was you know if if I had seen it before I wrote my book I think I would have been I would have been more daunted because again like I'm an immigrant I came to the states but I had my family mm-hmm. they all they buffered it you know mm-hmm. they basically were able to to you know help me make sense of it I mean they right. they didn't as much as I wanted them to because they too were immigrants trying to fit in right but these children coming you know. When did you see your parents? Uh, Yesterday, because they don't have a concept of time. You know, when it was, however, you know, they're in the, what do they call them? The cooler, the um, ice boxes. Um, But yeah, so it just, I was just like, it just, it just, you know, it makes you look at obviously your own life because you're just like, like what the, you know, she asks the question, like just the general rhetorical question, why do we come to America? Like, what are we hoping And, you know, I mean, in my case, it was to escape the fascist regime, you know, the horrific thing that would unfold years, decades right. later. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's like, like, like it's similar to what's happening now with, right. you know, S- Syrian refugees. Oh. And um, do your parents, your parents are still alive. Yeah. Do they ever talk about if they would come to America now? Like, has that ever been something? No, that's a good question. I'm going to. I'm going to ask that over Thanksgiving. Please do. That'll, that'll be very. Please light report back. <laughs> well, I'm just. I'm curious. You mean in terms of okay, if they if they, if they knew now- that they were coming to a Trump America as opposed to the America that they came to, which is not to say that America wasn't racist and terrible yeah. in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or 2014, but just that Trump means something in the world in a way that America. You know, like America used to mean something in the world in a specific way. And I think that Trump means something that is oftentimes antithetical. Like in my travels, since the Trump administration has started, 
I people look at me different or ask me different questions. You're like, I'm from Canada. <laughs> they're like, oh, are you American? I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, ooh, Trump. Or yeah, but okay. All right. Well, to that. See that? All right. So I wonder, I just, I guess my question is, would they, would do you think that they would still have come or wanted to come to America knowing that the person in yeah. charge of America had negative feelings about Muslim people that he was really happy to talk about and potentially ban and et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's, yeah, that's a really, that's a great conversation. Uh, great questions, very almost like kind of philosophical or existential in a way, because if I, if we're asking it now, it's implying, well, yeah, it's the same thing. I was going to say that it's basically coming over for survival back then. And the, the world, the country, the region of Iraq was dangerous, but it was kind of more organized danger in a mm-hmm. way. Now it's just a free for all. And you know, opportunity and just like the terror, you know, terror and all of that. So I don't, it's an interesting thing because, you know, and I, and this is one of the things I was reading when I was trying to understand why people, Muslim people voted for Trump. Mm. And it was because they said, a, lot, a couple of them said that the uh, uh, healthcare was too expensive and they couldn't afford to feed their families. And so when it comes to, you know, when it, when it becomes, he promised all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They believed that he was going to, you know, get rid of Obamacare. They, that it was going to, he was going to, is not, you know, be, they'll allow them to keep the retirement, you know, all of this stuff. Right, right. And when it comes to personal survival, I think it's really hard to see outside of that to go, okay, but what country am I leaving for my kids? That's why I thank God for the young people now. Right. I mean, it's an interesting question because it's less, I would ask my parents and more maybe um, like my young cousins now. I'm curious. Yeah, it would be an interesting thing to ask younger people. Like, mm. would you still come to America? Because yeah, America, it was a superpower. It was the protector, and now right. and now he seems to be running it. Like, no, no, we're not doing any of that. You know, right? Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So one of the things that I found to be really important about this book, and I I think that it made me think the first time in reading it and this time again, is the language that we use around people who come to America. Uh, yeah. Um, she talks about the term illegal. Yeah. She talks about alien. Yeah. I think also wrapped up in that is the kind of humiliation and the way that that Americans, people who are born in America, I should say, who have the privilege and the good luck and the fortune to just have been born in a specific place. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that part of it. That there is a humiliation and a sort of we denigrate people who want to come to this country and make them small and and call them illegal and call them aliens. I found that that part of the book is was is always really hard for me and that conversation about how we talk about people. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation about the larger discourse because of Trump. Right. But there's, I mean, that he didn't invent illegal aliens. For sure, yeah. Like he didn't invent any of that. And I just wonder why we don't, why we're not gracious towards immigrants. Why, why we treat people who want to come to this country or who have to come to this country, who are refugees. I mean, mm-hmm. she uses the term um, child refugees. She's yeah. like, what if we called them child refugees instead of illegal aliens? Yeah. Right? Like it's like... I don't even know what my question is, but I just are that you, part of why the book, are why why do we put them in boxes like that? Well, why are we so terrible? I mean, that's a bad that's a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. Why are we putting them in in these categories? Yeah. Why are we so ter- why why do we suck? Well, why but like why are we so terrible to yeah. other people? Like I don't I understand this idea of like there's not going to be enough for me well, or whatever. It, that's it, all in air quotes. People it, at home. It's fear. It's just right. fear. I mean, again, like it's this. Fear. Okay. No, it's not understanding something and being told that only the negative things, right? Like the use of the word uh, illegal alien, like alien. I remember, yeah, I I remember, I don't think we were ever designated as illegal alien because we came and we we got our green card and this was the 70s. But yeah, we were aliens, like right. resident aliens or something. Right. I remember thinking that was cool because it was space. You know, you're a kid, whatever right. you, you find. You ways. were three. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, but then like when, when they, my parents got naturalized when I was 12. Okay. So it was, um, yeah. So, but you're like, oh, aliens, I'm cool. I'm like a space, you right. know, Star Wars, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's, I, I don't know. It's this, I mean, it, you know, it goes back to like, I, I don't want to compare this to 
the Holocaust. Right. But I mean, it's kind of that same, like when you don't understand something, right. you try to make sense of it. If there's fear in there, then you immediately want to distance yourself from right. it. And so it's easier to say, to make it like, they're not like us, right? right? These people, right. women, whatever, like, and it's happening across the board with all right. of that. Like, Well, I think there's, I mean, I think that people are always worried to bring up the Holocaust because it was the full realization of yeah. the worst possible things that you could do to a human. And I think that that's true for all genocides, that they yeah. follow that same pattern. But I do think that the beginning of what later became the Holocaust does have ties to what's going on now. You know, yeah. like this dehumanizing, right. this separating families, this treating people terrible, naming people things that are not, that are subhuman. Right. I think that all of that, I think it is connected. And I think that people who shut down the comparison right away are actually aiding the work of. Do you think, okay. So that's a, it's a really interesting conversation then. Do you think the people are shutting down? Do you think the people that are shutting down this um, conversation is, are because they don't want to fathom it? I think there's two kinds of people who shut down the conversation. I think largely two kinds of people, maybe three. I think one side is there are people who are who benefit from white supremacy, right, right. who there's... who actually believe that comparing these two things makes it harder for them to do the work of white supremacy, i.e., continue to mm. lock children up right. or separate families, or you know who can who. If you call it out, if you can, if you can defend against it, then you can continue to perpetuate it. And I think on the other side, people who say don't don't use those comparisons. I think sometimes that comes from a place of the Holocaust was the worst possible thing, mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily want to compare something that I don't that has not actualized that far. Like I think that they don't understand that there were steps that got to the Holocaust, mm -hmm. and they maybe don't know that history as well. Right, and so they think. Well, if people come somewhere, go somewhere illegally, they're not supposed to be there. They don't follow the legal channels. That's not the same as being rounded up and put in a gas chamber. And like, correct, those two things are different. Right. But the language around it and mm -hmm. the the way in which we dehumanize people who are seeking asylum and safety in our country is actually a lot less, quote unquote, illegal because asylum is not illegal mm -hmm. than then we want to make it. And I think that, I think a lot of it is just, we don't know our history in America. We don't know history. We're not taught history. And if we are, it's a really fucking bullshit version of history. Well, I mean, they know what the Statue of Liberty is. I mean, it's, right. it's that, it's basically that simple. Give me your tired, your poor, your hungry, you know, starving. Right. Us. But I mean, we've had people immigrating to this country forever who've always been treated like shit. Everyone who's ever come to this country has yeah. been treated like shit when right. they got here. Right. And then eventually, I mean, there's a book, the guy who just, I can't think of his name. He, he just passed away, but the book is called How the Irish Became White. And mm. it's all about how like whiteness is a thing that is invented and it's about his or it's about white Irish people were once considered sure, yeah. like how we consider right. children from El Salvador. Right. And now they're like, Irish people are cool. You yeah. came from Ireland. Oh my God, kiss me. I'm Irish. St. Yeah, Patrick's yeah. Day. We celebrate. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's for me, like the, the, the ones that I can speak to directly are the ones that aren't in the white supremacy right. you know, box because you can't, like I'm, that's right. 
dealing with an ideology that I'm not right. going to, but the one that, you know, like the, where there's hope in this is that it's ignorance. And right. I'm not saying people are stupid. I'm just right. saying there's this ignorance about this, these people. Right. Like, like I'm not they, knowing. Not knowing. Yeah. And it's like, I can't tell you how many after 9-11 and like, but it's taken years after 9-11 where, uh, they, they <laughs> do this thing where they put a guy who's like, you know, just from the suburbs of America, whatever. And then he, you know, it, it is working with a, a Muslim guy. Right. And he's like, oh, you're just like me, you know? And it seems just kind of like a no-duh thing, but it may not be a no-duh thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think we have to kind of go back and realize that we're not, well, obviously what happened in 2016 in, January, in November, you know, with the election was we realized at least for me and my friends and we're not even liberal elite or whatever, but like out here in California and then in New York, we realized we lived in this bubble where we thought things were getting better. Right. And then we go, whoa, <laughs> things are not getting better actually. Right. Look at all this. But also there is this like things get better before it gets worse. And I, you keep right. thinking, is it going to, okay, when's it going to get better? When's it going right. to get, you know, but it's this, this idea that like, if you could just you know, keep talking. That's why I think it's really important to have conversations right. and keep talking. And, um, you know, nothing bad happens with comp from conversation if it's respectful and well, if it's coming from the right place, right? It's yeah. not like gaslighting. Yeah. Well, that's not conversation. That's just right. bullshit. But, right. um, but yeah, like I think if we, if we keep doing that and it, it just kind of, because some of it also is like, you, like we talked earlier about, it was a different time. There, you know, unfortunately, like things are the way they are until they change. Right, and right. there's always going to be ha having been a different time. Right. And this is going to sound really weird. I'm going to make this analogy and bear with me. But okay. like, for example, like back in the day, I mean, okay, already I'm going to disclaimer it, but like comparing humans to animals, right? Okay. Like they are humans and animals, I feel like. There's no separate, like the, you can't say a human being, it's a whole existential, the discourse of, right. is a human being's life more important than an animal's life? Right. And I, you know, I think, you know, you, we grew up thinking, yes, that's why there was animal testing. Oh, they're just animals, whatever. Right. And then, you know, learning more that, that they're not property. I, I read an article where it was like, you know, animals are not property. They are, they have emotions like us right. and that should you know, kind of allow people to kind of, to go, okay, well, they're part of the family in a way. Right. And the reason I bring this up again, weird analogy, but it's just all about like just the education and learning and, and studying and just going, look, you know, this is not, you can't like look at it from a distance. You have to get closer to it. Right. And that's the thing. Like, well, it's about, it's about people's willingness to be open-minded and to learn more and to understand and to change the way that we talk about things, whether it's an animal or right. a person. Right. And, and I'm not else. in any way saying, <laughs> I just feel like your listeners are going to be like, no. what is she I, My saying? listeners are super smart. They okay, understand. Good. They understand. Okay. Um, and if not, you can DM me. Don't, Yell at Aster, please. Like, it's you fine. can yell at me. Well, okay. I'll hear I you. just, I prefer it, I guess. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather ignore it. I'd rather just like it and we move on. But the point, yeah, but the point is that, like, it's just, I think it's just having conversation. Right. That brings it literally to the table. Right. Instead of. Well, I think, I mean, I, what I like about you and our, and our talking together is that I feel that you have a really um, positive outlook. And I feel like you are one of those people that sees like the good in other people, which I really like because I think that's a hard, yeah. a hard 
place to live. I think that's harder than seeing the worst in people, you know, like I think it's easy to see bad in others. Um, I'm definitely a little bit more on the pessimistic (laughs) side. It's just, I guess who I am. I don't know. But I think that you're, I think that what you're saying is right. Like if people are willing to do the work and get educated and whatever, that there is this path forward. But I think on the flip side of that is that sometimes people are unwilling to recognize that they have these blind spots. Right. And I think that's where we get caught up because in order to fix things like racism or anti-Muslim sentiments or or anti-immigrant sentiments or whatever it is, those of us who have privilege in those spheres and privilege is something that can move around, you know, like I'm a black woman, which is probably one of the least privileged groups, Mm -hmm. but I recognize that I was born in America. So I am an American citizen. And so I have privilege over every single child in this book. I probably have privilege over a lot of people that you are, that you know, from your life. So I recognize that privilege is very fluid, but the only way to really have these conversations and to actually get more educated or to be open to that information and to be open to be it's not just like green book like oh i i worked with a i worked with a black guy and now i see that black people have, have spirits but it's also being willing to give up some of your privilege to actually make room right. at the table for someone else i saw a tweet the other day that i can't i wish i could remember who it was it just popped into my head i saw a tweet the other day that was like what are you willing to give up in order to make equity for Right. What black and brown people or whoever it was. And that's the question because Because a lot of people were like, Well, why do I have to give something up? Why can't it just be more equitable for everybody? It's like, well, that's actually not how it works. Mm -hmm. That is the white supremacist ideology that you can that you could just say, Oh, I'm that 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 someone could just say, Oh, I believe that we should all have health care and therefore I am making space for someone. But the real question is, how do we all get healthcare? And does that mean that I myself have to take a step back? And maybe I have to give up my provider that I love so that everyone else can have a provider Mm -hmm. that actually provides for them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so the question isn't always, I think sometimes the, the idea that white supremacy forces on us is that everyone can have it all in some version of the world. And that's not actually true in America. You have to make room. You have to give up. You have to, you have to make sacrifices for other people. You have to lift up other people's voices. You have to make space for other people's stories. You have to allow your privilege to take a back seat sometimes. Mm -hmm. And those things are fluid. Um, One of my favorite, 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 favorite books of the last all these lists are coming out of the books of the last decade, but I like to just say books of my lifetime is a book called Stamped from the Beginning. It's by Ibram Kendi. It won the National Book Award. It came out in 2017. It's amazing. It's about the, it's the definitive history of race in America. And one of the things he talks about throughout the book that I think is um, fitting for this conversation is that, and this is kind of what you were saying a little bit, is that for every step forward in anti-racism, there is also a step forward in racism. So that Obama, mm-hmm. the response to Obama was Trump and that right. those things were not separate. No. And that the response to um, civil rights was crack, <laughs> right? Like the forcing of crack on black people mm-hmm. or that the response to, um, you know, 9-11, right, was, was all this anti-Muslim, right. like that these things work together and that they come together. And so 
you know, like Paul Abdul said, two steps forward, one step right, back, right? right? And so I think that that also is in is in this conversation, right? Yeah, like, for sure. That you can see someone and you can spend a day with them and be like, wow, Korean people, they're just like me, right? But like that, that's not necessarily like the work, but that's like an anecdotal story of right. like, I see, I'm seeing someone for the first time and now I need to read 3,000 books about Korea and learn about yeah, it yeah. and like... It's the steps. I mean, I think right. that's the thing. I think, I feel like we've gotten, we've done the whole, they're just like us thing now. Right. Um, celebrities, they're just like us. Right. Um, <laughs> My favorite. You know, but like, so, okay, <laughs> then, then where do we go? I think there's the, the problem, the, the re, okay, the reason why, I, and I don't want to come off as a Pollyanna, but it's easier for me to see the good because otherwise I get depressed. And right. then I just sit and, you know, and I struggle already with depression and I can't, afford to, right. you know, sit at home and like not do anything. Cause I'm not helping anybody by right. doing that. Right. So sometimes, and I, and I read about this right around the, like, you know, everybody, there was a, this whole out that, that came from, there was intersectionality, which was, it blew me away, even though that, that freight, that, um, idea existed in the nineties. Right. I think Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is great. But then there was also this whole, this concept of call out culture that I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't have a name for it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, you didn't, oh, you didn't donate to this cause. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, oh, you didn't march. Oh, okay. And it's just like, really? No. So we've gotten past that. Like, yeah. Can we just look, everybody does what they can do. And I, and I read this article that said, look, you, it's okay to have that fatigue. Like you can turn off the news. Yeah. This was right around January, 2017 or February or whatever, because people were flipping out because it's like, it's too much. You can't like, what do you, we're human, you know, we're not machines and we have to reset and just figure out like there's so many things. And so I can't support all the causes, but I can support a few causes and make those count. And right. if I'm supporting probably different causes than you're supporting right. or whatever. Well, that's what makes it work. Yeah. And if we all do that, then you don't have to necessarily give up. I mean, yeah, I don't know what give up privilege means if, if, if maybe to me, like, it's like acknowledging it, like, oh, acknowledging that I got, you know, I, I got ahead because of my color, the color of my skin or whatever. Right. And again, I was seeing that with some of my friends. They were like, I feel guilty about it. I'm like, well, did you can't be revisionist. Right. I mean, I get it. Like it's everybody is entitled. Everybody should have their own. Everybody should feel what they feel, but you can't be revisionist and go, Oh, I feel horrible. I feel guilty and whatever. Cause that's not doing anybody any right. good or do or feel it. And then let's now, now I feel like maybe we're ready to move on from all of that. Yeah. All of those, we had a lot of feelings that came out yeah. in, you know, 2017 and 2018, a lot of feelings you know, call out culture, this intersectionality, fuck you. What were you, why weren't you do at the black light, you know, lives yeah. matter. Oh yeah. Well, you know, immigrant lives. What about gay lives? All of this stuff. And then, you know, from my friends, I'm not, I'm talking about like from my immediate circle, yeah. not Facebook, not social media, right. people that you face know. to face. Yeah. yeah. And, and finally just like getting, just going, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Okay. Now, you know, what's the next step? What can I do about what do you think? What can we do about about children at the border, or yeah. just in general? The well, culture? children at the border is it well, like there's yeah. that that group races? Yeah, R A I C A E S. Yeah. Right. I think they do really good work. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that there are different things that different people can do, and I think that you're right to point out that we can't all do everything. Um, I f- I feel like there's two camps on that kind of idea. That one is like 
I can't do anything. I can't do everything, so I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And then the other camp is that I can only focus – like a, a lot of ways that people are shouted down is by saying, you know – well, you're so focused on Black Lives Matter and what about Ukraine? And it's like, well, we're all <laughs> capable of holding multiple things in our hearts and See, in our minds. talking about call out. I can't. I can't with the call out culture. Like yeah. what, it's – then you just end up – yeah, you're then you feel shamed. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything about anything. Right. And then you don't do anything. Well, right. And then you get, you get to be like self-righteous. Like if I can't – if people are going to get mad at me for trying, then I'm not going to try. And it's like, okay, well, that's also not yeah. productive. Well, that's privileged. Right. That is, that, sure. I mean, I think that that's some of like, what do you have to give up? Yeah. You have to give up your hurt feelings. Right. I think that, <laughs> that like, is a privilege. I hurt think feelings. it is. Oh, it a hundred percent is mm-hmm. hurt feelings are. Yeah. I think hurt feelings are a lot of what people who supported Trump or support Trump right. rely on mm-hmm. is the idea of that they are, that they should ha- be allowed to have hurt feelings. And I don't, I can't speak for you, but I talk about this a lot with with a lot of my friends is that as a black woman or a woman of color I was never afforded the privilege of hurt feelings. Yeah. Like no, I, I was always the one being called out, being told I was being mean, that I was mean. a bully, that I was a yes. bitch. And it wasn't until yes. I got to be I started working in more of like a corporate setting uh-huh. that I recognized that that was racist and sexist. Yeah. And I remember saying to my boss this is bullshit because I'm demanding that my employee show up on time ready to work and I'm the bad guy. Really? That's what it was? Uh, I was mean to my employees, quote unquote. I'm sorry that I was raised to have high standards about work and that you weren't. Yeah. But that isn't, that doesn't make me a bad guy. No, but if you were a, again, I don't want to call out the color card, but if you were a white man, now you had two things. You had a, a- I had a white man boss at this job who was so who picked on me so bad, but he was white and he's exactly. a guy and, and I, he's that's, strong. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's the thing. Like, I hope this was a while ago because if you're going to tell me this 2015, 16, 15, okay, 16. well that's still long again. Like that's that me going, okay, well I'm hoping it's not like, you're not just saying like two months ago because no, but I still think I still, Oh think yeah. It's, that it's true. Like I still get feedback on this podcast about me or like some, I've been called divisive and I'm like, I'm not divisive. I'm just black. Like I just have, I have these experiences. I'm sorry that it makes you feel uncomfortable. You should put that on the t-shirt. Right. Should Not divisive, it. just, just black. black. Yeah, no, but that's the thing. Like I, listen, I mean, I will go on the record as saying I'm, I have, thank God for Botox, not because of the aging thing, because I'm Middle Eastern and we have that knitted brow. And I'm not kidding. When I was a kid, I've had that, like, you know, I can't do it now because I've had Botox, but um, if you could see me. No, but when I was a child, I was always like, you know, I had that little- Like that, furrowed brow. Yeah, furrowed yeah. brow when I was young. And so when whenever Botox, the day that it happened, you know, I You're think like, I gave shoot it- shoot me up. Yeah. I'm like, let me uh, poison in my head. Yeah. But because I got sick and tired of people going, why are you so- angry. Why are you pissed off? And I had been in a position where I was like, you know, when I was a 16 year old, I was a concession manager at a local pool in Kentucky. And they're like, Oh, you're, you know, you're not, you're mean, you're not a good manager whatever. And maybe I was crappy. Uh, You know, I'll give myself that. I was 16, but I'm sure like my, you know, I've always tried to be light. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a page boy haircut and, mm. you know, wear the plaid. And like, I wanted to disappear. I did not want to be the strong, you know, right. I had these strong features and I'm exotic or whatever. And now I'm like, I wish, but it, you know, 
it's, you know, you get older and things like shift around, but, but yeah, it's like, it's, that's what it is. Like you're not a four, you cannot, you have to soft sell, you have to, to, to soft, uh, pussyfoot around it when you're Middle Eastern, but then you're a woman and, you know, we had, we've had this conversation about, uh, you know, getting into the, um, in, in corporate, you know, where women have to have to stop saying things like, I just want to, if you could just we right. do that because I know I, this is why I did it to make it okay for my male coworkers to not think that, that I was being, you know, attacking them. And because right. I, and I work in a, and a, you know, again, you make excuses. I work in a creative field. They're very sensitive, whatever. But the bottom line is this is, these are all the coping mechanisms. Like right. how many like coats that we've had to wear? I'm tired. My shoulders are, you know, right. like all of this stuff that you carry with that you, you carry with you to and make you other just, people more comfortable. Yeah. And it's hard to like, again, like young people now, like they've, they're where it's at. Like the millennials, right. young, you know, they don't have any of that. I, I mean, don't know. I think they do. Well, I okay. Do. I should say we fought for it. We fought for it, but I think that they still do. Cause you I think? still think that the levers of power but I feel held. like in high school, like the kids in high school are so much nicer now than when I was in high school. Hmm. I don't know. I, but I've, you're not in high school. No, but so I like mean, maybe I've, you don't I've, interact with them in the same that's way. That's true, but I've talked to some, I mean, again, I, yeah. I haven't done a, cons- you no, know, I know. A, I, a I just wonder, I mean, I hope that you're right. I would like you to be right because it would make me feel better knowing that kids. Well, and I, okay, again, this, these are, I haven't done a whole cross section right, of, of, like, of all the neighborhoods, <laughs> but it just feels like, you know, uh, I don't know. Like they were kids seemed to be meaner when I was growing hmm. up. And I feel like it's because there was let the world was smaller or is it larger? I forget what the, but basically there was less access, right? You know, we, we didn't have the friends that were, I have so many, you know, there's so many multicultural, so many biracial children now. And there right. wasn't back then right. when I was in school, right. you know, you had the black kid or right. the Indian kid. You right. didn't have the half anything, you know? Right. And I feel like it's just natural. Like, Oh, you know, all the parent, my, my friends who are parents have the kids in high school and they're like, yeah, I don't know. There's just some, this is that, you know, Nadia and she's from, you right. know, I didn't know yeah. she was from Iraq, you know? And yeah, I think, oh, right and then there. that, you know, again, that whole thing for a while where you couldn't ask people where they were from because it was considered racist. I'm like, but I'm interested. Right. You well, know? I think, I think that you can ask people where they're from, but I think where that, are you from, from, yeah, that's the one, <laughs> but, uh, but like, where are you, but like, where were you from before that? Like, right. all right, relax. Right. I have to explain to you how slavery worked. We are from America. <laughs> We've been here longer than you. Okay. Well, Thank see, you. But then see, this is where, this is where I get the privilege where I was like, well, I'm from the Middle East. So I can ask that, but right. you can't white person, you know? Like, right. So yeah, we all have privilege. And I think if we just accept it and, and you know, I'm not, asking my Caucasian male friends to be any less, well, okay, let me rephrase that. I'm Maybe asking I'm them a, to be less. Of, I don't know <laughs> Maybe, where you're going with that, I but either. I am asking. I don't know. I'm like, I'm, now I'm starting, you know, I'm standing on a rock somewhere like a platform. No. no, I'm okay. Yes. Maybe the men, the white men should be less, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm about in being authentic but being authentic, if it's, if it's good, not like some, sh- don't be a shithead and go, I'm, I'm being an asshole, but I'm authentic. You right. know what I mean? Like, well, I almost prefer that sometimes. Cause then I'm like, well, I see you now. Like right. I, if that's you and you're being authentic, I can see this and I can understand this. And now I know how I need to be right. in relationship. But do you, okay. But then let's take it one step further. Okay. Back to the mental health thing is I've had people that I've dealt with in my place of businesses 
where like uh, superiors or whatever. And I thought they are such assholes. Like, why are they being so ass? And then it turns out that they, now we discover more things and like, well, that per- and then that person just tells me, oh, they were on the spectrum or they have not OCD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Okay. I don't know about you, but I always come at it with like what what's being done to me because I'm, you know, always approaching it from the outsider. Right. You know, it's really hard. It was really hard for me to to see past myself, which right. is narcissistic. Well, I think we all have a but little bit of that in us. Yeah. And, and you experience the world through your experience. For sure. Yeah. And when you're always like when you come into it as you're being you're the outsider, it's good and bad. Right. You know, we're discovering now again, like with mental health, like all of this stuff that was once considered, you know, I remember back in the day, like people were like, oh, that person's manic depressive, you know, just with dismissive. And now right. like I have friends that are that, and it's just like, no, my brain just works differently. Right. And you know, how, how can you even say that? How can right. you diminish somebody by saying right. that now? So I think that's kind of some of like the original question, which I, kind of forgot, but I think where I started with this, no, no, no. I think, I mean, I'm really happy where, 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 where we went, but I think that some of what you're saying is like, we have found ways to have empathy for people who have mental illness or that's something we're working on. And we found ways to have empathy for things. But when it comes to people who are fleeing their home country, right. As Americans, collectively, I don't mean individuals, but collectively, we have not found a way to have empathy for those people. Like, and to think about why people leave their homes. Yeah. Nobody's just like, I want to go to America because it's, I mean, I'm sure some people are like, I want to go to America because I want to live in America. Just like some Americans, they like want, I want to go to Paris. in and out burger. Right. <laughs> some people are like, I want to go be an expat in Paris or whatever. And right. let's also talk about the fact that expat is almost exclusively reserved for white people. But that's not true. Actually, I have one, at least one African-American, two actually African-American, one, one lives in Korea. And but I'm saying like the phrase, right, right, like, right. Oh like, yeah. They don't refer to nobody it refers like it's, uh, there's something, there's something going on with the term expat that yeah, we're yeah. not dealing with, which yeah, yeah. isn't for another episode, <laughs> but that we like are, to to that. <laughs> that we're able to like find empathy for, right. we're able to find empathy for racists. We're able to find empathy for people who have all sorts of things that are different than us. And yet right. the empathy for people who are leaving their home countries for fear of death and reprisal and all this stuff, I just feel like we have got to do better. Well, and she brings up this, um, and I'm not saying this this applies to the people that maybe you and I are discuss are talking about, but she says because what you said earlier, like it's the drug, the war on drugs. Well, right, and, and a lot it, of this is our fault. Yeah, and so to 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 look at it, I think I wonder if that we don't, you know, we don't want to look at it as this drug bigger problem because it's a problem that we've created, right? right? And so this is like a byproduct, and as we try to process it, and I say we because I'm referring to the we that you're referring right, to. Right, like the collective American. Yeah, whatever these this, these people that, are, that aren't thinking in terms, like it's not connecting to our brains. It's not that, you know, it's just, it's like, oh, it really is just easier to not think about it. Right. Until it comes to well, us. Right, and like that, and I include, I say we also because it, it, I do include myself in it because I've allowed for a lot of this to happen in my conscious adulthood without, paying attention to it. Well, sure. How could you? Right. You, you know, but right. But that, so that's why I also include the we yeah, as yeah. in kind of like, we're all right. complicit in what's going on at the border. Yeah, yeah. Some of us more so than others. For sure. A lot of the crisis at the border has to do with 
the drug infiltration into America. And that has to do with the drug consumption in America. And if the people weren't doing all the drugs in America, they wouldn't be bringing the drugs to America because nobody would be buying them. You just have drugs like like we have litter. Like you just have like bars of cocaine lying around because nobody was doing it. But like, and the same thing with the gangs, right? Like Barrio, uh, Barrio 18 or Barrio 18 and MS 13 both started in Los Angeles. Mm. And these are the gangs that now are back in El Salvador and Honduras. And they're the gangs that people are trying to get away from. And of course they've changed from what they were here, but like this, that is an American gang. Mm. Like we did this. This isn't something that we can be separated from American foreign policy, American immigration policy, the war on drugs, right. gang violence. Like that's all these children who are seven yeah. and five, they are living this life because of us. Sure. And like we're not dealing with that. Right. And and from the top, as in our president, yeah. all the way down to a lot. I mean, some people are doing that work. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing that work. Fucking thank you. Yeah. But you know, I, what what is the like what can we what can you and I do? You, well that's you the hard I. part. I mean, I, I think I choose to give money to organizations. That's what I do too. And I think a I lot feel. of it when it comes down specifically to the children who are being detained and all that is that the money has to go to places where they can find lawyers. <laughs> like yeah. it's like organizations that provide that those services mm-hmm. because I think that's a lot of the day to day, how can you change one child's life. But I think also a huge part, and this sounds so silly and like, duh, but it's voting. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like I think that's, that's a thing and, and paying attention to what people are saying about, like, it's very sad to me. We're recording this on November 13th, uh, 14th. So it's before the November democratic debate, but the fact that Julian Castro is not going to be on the stage on November 20th Mm -hmm. is like that's a huge blow because he's someone who is a progressive candidate who is pushing the conversation forward when it comes to people of color, to immigration, to women's rights, to reproductive rights. And, you know, I think supporting someone who does that work is important and not just on a presidential level, but a local level. And I think if you live in a state that is a border state, it becomes a hundred times more important. So those are a few things you can do. And I think if you are bilingual and you speak Spanish and you can do volunteer in the kind of work that Valeria was doing, she was doing it in New York City. So you don't have to be in Arizona to do the work. Um, But if you can do that work and if you can't financially supporting those organizations or seeing if there's some sort of clerical work you could do, you know, like I think just asking. Yeah those questions, if this is something that you are passionate about, I think that there are lots of resources and I think that it's top of mind for people right now, which is, which is good because it's so terrible. Well, and that's the thing you, you mentioned voting and that it comes down to when you make a lot of people say, Oh, well, whatever it does, it's not going to matter in California. What I, my vote's not going to count, but that's that, you know, Oh, if, you know, it's fine if I don't vote. Other people will do it. You know, right. it, it's that thing. It's just knowing it's like basically taking care of your side of the street, whatever, um, doing your thing and not, and just everything will, every vote counts right. and just basically simplifying it that way instead of making it, you know, I think if you just went in in a bubble and voted and not worried about, okay, well, is my vote going to count or whatever? It's just like, what do I, I stand for this, you know, I'm just going to make my vote, vote count and then move on. I right. think that will be you know, I, I think we need to start thinking that way and think right. less, 
what does it think globally, act locally, but we need to maybe think locally as well, because yeah. I feel like we're getting too global and it's, it's overwhelming right. us. And maybe these, you know, maybe a lot of us that want to do things are, they want, we want to, but we're just overwhelmed. So, right. so maybe that's well, a And way. a lot of local elections are decided by a handful of votes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not like the presidential election. Yeah. This last, election. last time around was uh, yeah. oh, in Kentucky, my home state. Yeah. Yay. Kentucky. Yeah. That was just a handful blue. of votes yep. um, for the governor. Right. And I think when we talk about voting and all that, I mean, we're in California and our primary just got moved to Super Tuesday, which is in March. It used to be in June. So now all of a sudden, California really does matter when it comes mm. to the presidential election. Like, And I think this time around with 5 million candidates, wherever you are, you actually do get a voice and your vote does count and you should vote for the person that you think you want to see be the next president and not the person you think will beat whoever the other person is. Like, I think we have that opportunity this time around, which is exciting, even though having 7 million candidates is my nightmare. But there is something positive about that because you do have the opportunity to say, I'm going to vote for the candidate who believes in the things that I believe in and not just vote for the lesser of two evils or the person that I kind of like because I only have one other option or whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Before we get out of here, this is about the book very, very specifically. One of the things that um, Valeria talks about in the book is the role of the interpreter in all of this because she is the interpreter. Mm-hmm. She's taking down what the children's answers are. It goes on this sheet and this sheet is used by the lawyers to try to defend the children and get them asylum um, or SIJ status. And she talks about how there's a really fine line between interpreting and translating. And I thought that that was like a really mm-hmm. special observation. And I thought that it just, because it played, it plays such an important role in what happened to the kids. It just was something that stuck out to me. Um, I don't know if you remember that moment at all. Uh, I don't, but now that you're mentioning it, yeah, it's coming back to me. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually, that's a really good, it's like a, such a delicate point. Yeah. But when you start to think about you know, and I think that also is something you could play back for yourself. Like, am I interpreting this or am I translating this? Like, yeah. is that what I'm, is that what someone's actually saying to me or is that what I'm hearing? Right. You know? So the last thing we always talk wow. about is the cover and the title. So mm-hmm. the title of this book is Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions. I think the first time we hear about the title for in the book I've written down is page 55, which is her daughter yeah. asks her, tell me how it ends. Cause she comes home and tells the stories of these kids that she's seeing and her daughter just wants to know what happens? Do they marry the prince and do they end up like, like <laughs> right. what's the ending? Yeah. And she always says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so what did you think of the title and the cover? Um, I love the title. I, uh, you know, I listened to the audiobook, but it, it does pop up, but on my, on my phone, it's not as pink as the, as, oh, the, as the color the of the color, cover, yeah. which I like because it kind of softens it in a, yeah. in a way. Um, I, I love the title, uh, because I love how she also says, you know, tell me how it ends. There is no, how it ends. But then at the end she says, this is how it ends. This is how it does end for this particular individual that they follow. Right. But it's not just how it ends. This is how it begins. And it's funny that you mentioned like, do they live happily ever after? Because that's that whole thing. Like what as children, you know, it's that it's black and white, right. You know, the fairy tale thing, like. They live happily ever after, but then what happens? Right. So right. I, I, this is really, I love, I can't, I know I wish that I had the actual, um, paper version because I think it would have been nice to read it and 
Get the book. I wish that I got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, it's just very, orga- it's it's written, it is, it's called an essay in 40 questions. It looks like an, it's, it's the typography is like an essay. Yeah. But the book, the cover is soft. Yeah. And it's, you know, to me kind of makes, it's like, it's accessible. Yeah. It's very, it's important. It's sobering, but it's, it's accessible. And I think that's the thing that we've been talking the last 20 minutes about accessibility for people. And I think this book is very accessible for everybody that, you know, is wondering like, what's the story over there and what can we do? It's, it's not intimidating. Right. Um, you know, as I said in the beginning, when you, when you recommended it to me, I like hated you, but I also loved you because, <laughs> and I hated you because I was like, ah, <laughs> this yeah. is going to be scary. And I, and it's going to show that I, everything I don't know. And you know, all of that. Um, I think because we're, we maybe in, I'm only speaking for myself is like, if in cases that I've done that, I'm like, oh shit, it's going to be so overwhelming. Yeah. And I just, it's, I can't deal with this right now. I'll deal with it later. Yeah. But this, so something like this, it makes it really accessible and it, 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 yeah, yeah. accessible as accessibility. I agree. I agree with you. I also think for me, um, when I bought, when I got this book a few years ago, I ordered it and I was, someone had recommended it. So I ordered it and I was very nervous that it was going to be overwhelming or Mm -hmm. too much or it was going to be too hard on me or whatever. And then it came and it's just so little Yeah, that also plays into that accessibility. It's just a tiny little book. Like it all of a sudden feels manageable. Um, and I like, I do like how plain and just no frills it is. There's not like yeah. on the cover, there's no, there's no cursive. There's no, there's no image. It's just like, right. this is the color of paper. Yeah. This is black yeah, yeah. ink. Yeah, yeah. This is the book. This is my name. Boom. Right. Um, and I think the title is really smart as well. I think, tell me how it ends. Cause it asks us too. It asks us and it, it ties in. It's a question from her child who she's then, you know, kind of comparing in some ways to the children that she's dealing with. And I just, ugh, I just love this book. Excuse me. Do you have anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, thank you so much for this opportunity. I, um, I feel, you know, weird that I may have inadvertently compared humans to animals. Again, if please, we have a problem, just <laughs> please listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I tend to, I, I think in like, you know, I, I start to ramble and it goes off and, and then I eventually make a point. Um, well, that's the whole point but, of podcasts. I okay. Feel like podcasts are kind of like curly cues and they kind of come back in okay. and out through the middle. See, this is my editing. I'm always like, oh, but the edit, you know, you can take something out of context because I'm an editor. Yeah. You always, you know, take things. I mean, context. people can. Yeah. And if you do that's on you i guess i don't know we can talk about it we can have a discussion you can slide into my dms you can bug me slide into your DMs. Um, but hopefully not <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening and of course make sure that you get acer's book it's called the wrong end of the table a mostly comic memoir of a muslim arab american woman just trying to fit in thank you acer for being here and thank you guys so much for listening we will see you in the stacks All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to our guest, Acer Salman. You can find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. Make sure to get your book recommendation read on air by sending us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, please follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, head to patreon.com slash thestacks. 
make sure you are subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you.